Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk. First, this afternoon, we want to talk about the um, full public funding for a cycle of IVF. This is for eligible couples due to come into effect from September. So the state is going to pay for one round of IVF um, for couples seeking to give birth under this new scheme and it'll be open or eligible to women under 41 years of age. There, Along with the age limits though, there will be some criteria around the BMI, the body mass index of the woman applying for the scheme and uh, couples who have a known clinical cause of infertility will also miss out on the IVF programme. But I think overall today, look, there have been calls for this for a long time. It's something we've talked about. We've heard those calls on this programme over the past two or three years. So I think certainly, broadly, uh, there's a warm welcome for this announcement today. Anne-Marie is with us on the line in Dublin. Anne-Marie, well, what's your reaction, first of all, to um, the first full publicly funded IVF system in Ireland? Um, I think I think the the progress forward in whatever direction it's going can only be a positive thing. Um, there are people all over the country, I'm sure, who have been given hope where maybe they've they previously had none. So I think that that has to be a really positive thing. I think in terms of it recognizing infertility for what it is, which is a medical condition with severe um, impacts on the the people who struggle with it as well. Um, sometimes you hear when people talk about funding IVF, um, well, I've, I've had my family and why should I pay for, you know, Mary down the road to have IVF? But that's how a functioning healthcare system works. We all pay for people to get treated for medical conditions that we don't have. So I think from the point of view um, of, of recognising that and recognising it for the medical condition um, that it is, it's really positive um, and conscious as well that there will be people who will realise, you know, who might have been hanging on for the publicly funded, who will realise starting to see um, the criteria that's coming out, who will understand that they probably won't be eligible for it and and the absolute devastation that will come with that. I suppose it has to start somewhere. But I think some of the things, particularly around BMI, although I know BMI hadn't been specified yet what, what that BMI yeah. range will be, um, but I think that's a really blunt instrument um, to assess whether, I, I presume BMI, it's not a... Um, it's not some kind of value judgment on BMI. It's it's a decision that high BMI is less likely to be successful. Um, but I think that that's certainly not necessarily the case. I have a friend who would have been excluded on BMI and her BMI is actually caused by the same underlying factor as her infertility, which would be PCOS. And because of having PCOS, she would really struggle to get down her BMI. She's incredibly fit and healthy and has actually had three beautiful children very successfully from IVF. So, you know, she would be excluded from this process. Um, But actually IVF was very much what gave her her family. Mm. So I I just think that's probably a very blunt instrument um, to to make a decision on. I think there's even from from talking to people in this area, you know, throughout the course of the morning, Anne-Marie, there seems to be some uh, clinical variations um, Mm -hmm. on whether or not using using somebody's BMI is, is too blunt of an instrument when you combine that then with, uh, with with the woman's age as well. But I suppose we'll, we'll have to wait to get the further details around that um, criteria eligibility on, on that particular aspect. But from your own experience, Anne-Marie, um, how, how could or would you have benefited from publicly funded IVF? Um, so 
So I I started trying to have a family, I suppose I was around 27 or 28 and um, kind of started with that innocent expectation that people often have that, uh, you know, start trying and in a couple of months you get pregnant and have a baby within a year. Um, unfortunately, when we started, it didn't happen like that and it actually took 18 months um, before I became pregnant for the first time. Um, but then it did happen spontaneously. Unfortunately, my first son was stillborn when I was almost 42 weeks pregnant. Um, and, you know, that, that's a story for a different day, but is is absolutely devastating. Yeah. And the, the desire to have another baby. So it's one thing I was wondering today, actually, um, you know, would I have been included under that criteria as having had given birth to a child, but because he was stillborn, you know, so I'd be interesting because unfortunately that's not a unique situation. I, I know lots of people who struggled with infertility after stillbirth as well. Um, so I would hope that there would be an empathetic view taken on that and that, that somebody in that situation would still be eligible for IVF. Um, after we lost Max, I went into, you know, less extreme um, kind of fertility treatment. So after we weren't able to get pregnant again after a year, I started doing um, ovulation stimulation and, you know, going in for scans to see when I was ovulating to have um, follicle tracking and all this mm. sort of thing and did that for about a year. And when that didn't work, I was in Malta with work and I got a uh, I got my period and I knew that I wasn't pregnant again and I'd been hopeful and I got an ad for a fertility clinic which just goes to show you know how kind of vulnerable you are to that was how I made my complete decision on which IVF clinic to go to they had an open day I phoned my manager I said can I change my flight come back tomorrow and go for an open day at the IVF clinic and he said yes and back I came and a month later I did IVF um, I in terms of age would have fitted the criteria in terms of um, the, so initially they thought that I had a really good chance of success. Mm. I'd gotten pregnant naturally. I was young, you know, healthy, all of that kind of stuff. But when they did my um, AMH, which is a measure of ovarian reserve, they found that my AMH was actually quite poor. Um, and even though I was 31, I think at the time, my AMH would have been you know, 10 years beyond. So it showed that I had kind of premature uh, ovarian aging. So then I actually had a really poor chance of success. Um, but we were very lucky. Um, we got five embryos and um, my first one worked. Um, and I have a little six-year-old boy okay. um, from that and had four frozen. Then we tried to um, give him a living sibling and did four rounds of IVF with those four embryos and none of those worked. And then I did a fresh round of PGS testing, which was another 10,000, um, which didn't work. And we were going down the road of planning more. Um, and I actually got pregnant with my little girl naturally again. So I have okay. a 20 month old as well. Yeah. But overall, I, I think we probably spent in the region of 25 to 30,000 um, on IVF. And, and the majority of people don't have that lying around. I mean, no. that's deposits that are being saved for houses. That's credit union loans. That's, you know, borrowing from family and friends. That's making massive sacrifices. And in an economy where people are finding it 
difficult enough to get on the property ladder in the first place. People who, you know, have have to find another ten or twenty or thirty thousand to do the thing that most people take for granted um, is a ma- massive financial burden. We were very lucky that, you know, with the help of family and friends and our own savings, we were able to manage to do and it. That's, but the, that's not the case. No, well. exactly. The, it can be so, I suppose, cost prohibitive. No, no doubt about it at all, Anne Marie. Um, eighteen hundred four five three one zero six is the number. Look, if you're like Anne Marie, if you want to share your story with us today in the program, we're talking about the government's plans to outline the criteria for public funding. Um, for IVF, Harry is with us on the line as well. Harry, did did you go did you go through the IVF process too? Myself uh, and my wife, we did. Yeah, uh, it took six years of our life. Um, it cost us over seventy thousand euros. Um, we had to travel abroad. Uh, we went from the very basic to uh, donor egg at the end of, at the very end of it. Um, so went through everything that they, they could throw us on the kitchen sink and some. We got no funding from the state except we were able to claim back some, call back some when we got back in through our taxes, etc. at the end of the year. Um, but very little support. Uh, I welcome this, absolutely. I think it's mm. great. It gives it gives hope to a lot of families out there. Um, I don't think it's enough. I think um, the medical criteria uh, is very dangerous territory. Uh, I live with a disability, and uh, many of the reasons I, I came late to, to fatherhood was because of the discrimination in the country they, they, that is placed upon people with disabilities, can't get mortgages, can't get life insurance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're basically a non-entity in this country with a disability. So on top of that, and that's that's actually the fact, that we're, we're the worst in Europe uh, for disabled people, and that's well known. Yes, we like to subscribe to this image of us being... Uh, you know what I mean? We send our, our athletes around the world, disabled athletes, and we're fantastic to our disabled people. Yes, we are the worst to our disabled people in this country. And that manifests itself for me in having more hassle, trying to have a baby, uh, having to go through the IVF treatment and delaying our lives, delaying mortgages of which we wanted, delaying everything. So, so does that mean, Harry, sorry, does, does that mean yeah, under, the, uh, under the government's plans that are being announced today, and I know we're still waiting to get certain elements of the, the eligibility criteria, but does that mean that you and your partner, you, you wouldn't have qualified under what we're hearing this current so, scheme? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was a matter of age. Um, both of us came to us late in life, um, no fault of our own, of our own. Um, and we decided we want to have a, a family. Um, we were in our mid-40s. Uh, we could just about afford to do it, but we scraped through. Um, listen, yes, it would, it, it, would, it, would affect, it would affect us, and I think, as I said earlier, it, it's discriminatory, and that's where we'll end up, because really it's such a sensitive topic for people. Uh, I mean, who is anybody, who is the state or anybody to judge whether a couple can't try to have a child or not? Uh, and then if it's going down body mass index, I mean, come on, people, that is, that is the state telling us, listen, you need to be a certain size, you need to be a certain type, you need to pay a certain amount of taxes, and you need a certain, a certain grade in school to have children. And that's the way they're going. And it's ridiculous. Um, this should be just, listen, if you are having trouble having a child, there is funding available. Apply, and in each individual case should be looked at. And this sort of. So you think you there know, should be no it, age criteria, or or, or well, it should be it should be argued on the state of, of you know the ability of the parents, the financial status of the parents, the fitness of the parents. I mean that can all be fought with um, in, in, in a room with a potentially a social worker or with a doctor. You have to go through tests anyway with with the with the IVF companies, so the people who provide the services. You have to go through tests with them anyway. You have to reach certain criteria. And you have to be able to afford it. So 
that criteria is already there. So the state coming in and just putting their footprint over it isn't really, is that a hand or is that helping? Is it hindering or helping? I'm not too sure. But if you're, um, if you're to but I think it, I think it's clumsy and they need to do better. Okay. And that would be my point All for right. everything in this country. We um, need to do better. Sarah's, okay? Sarah's with us too, Harry. Um, Sarah, how would you have been helped by this new publicly funded scheme? Hiya. Um, I, I agree with Anne-Marie that, you know, any progress towards this is great, but I think that there's a huge scope for more. So I had to freeze my eggs at 26. Cause like Anne-Marie, I had a low A&H reserve um, and I was told basically you either need to have kids or you need to freeze your eggs immediately. So I had to do it twice because the first time I only got five and then the second time I was more lucky and I got 12. So I have 17 eggs at the moment frozen in therapy fertility. And so this would not have helped me. It's not currently helping me and it wouldn't have helped me. It would have put a gun to my head and saying, okay, IVF, as part of the process, you have to use fresh eggs. You can't use frozen eggs. If you have frozen eggs, you have to do a procedure called ICSI. So um, it, it kind of puts a gun to your head and going, okay, do I want a family now as a young woman and as a young couple? Do we go down the route of IVF and try for a baby straight away? Or do I potentially freeze my eggs and then I have to do a different process, which is ICSI, and that's not mentioned, that's not funded, and I'm coughing up the cost myself. Now they so do. I think that there, there is some um, mention today that there's going to be up to about three cycles of the less invasive fertility program, the the yeah, IUI. I, the, I, yeah, that's different. So, I know to what be, you're. Yeah, so that was it's, it's like artificial insemination, um, but when you have poor follicle count and ovarian reserves, it's not the sperm that's the issue. It's you, you need the embryos to be implanted to make sure the baby sticks. It's, it wouldn't be useful for me an IUI. So that's why I would. There's been no mention you know, today at all, though, um, around the you know the the, the egg freezing element yeah. of this, and and I I know that I think Anne Marie, were, what you mentioned a little earlier, and we're trying to get a little bit more clarity about this because um, I think the health minister is actually it's it, it's been brought to cabinet today or at some point certainly today, so we we might have more information around it. But Anne Marie, your point because you had previously had. Um, you'd gone. Through, you had a stillbirth. You're not quite sure mm-hmm. if, isn't that right? That's where you, there's a question mark over whether or not you would have qualified even through the scheme. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if that would have counted as as already having had a child. Um, but I think one of the things it it kind of sounds a little bit cart before the horse in terms of the funding, um, coming as the first thing. I think. It, Infertility and fertility clinics in Ireland, um, you know, I've, I've heard it described in a few programmes today a bit like the Wild West, and I think it's probably fairly accurate. It's, it's this weird um, gap that exists between a commercial um, entity, which is there for the profit um, of its shareholders and its owners and a healthcare um, piece. And it's probably the only um, type of healthcare that falls in there. And there is a massive lack of regulation um, in terms of like if you look at all the different fertility clinics, if you're trying to make a decision on which clinic to go for, um, looking at their success rates, different clinics report success rates on is it on pregnancy rates, is it on live births, different clinics Mm. kind of have different criteria to allow people in. So maybe there is a massive, um, some clinics would have a massive cohort of customers and clients who are coming from same-sex couples, for example, who might not have fertility issues, just need help to conceive because they they don't have all of the necessary genetic material and and would have a different success. And there's also like all the add-ons and stuff as well. Like in the UK, 
the um, HFEA, um, which is the, the kind of regulatory body have a traffic light system that show so when you do IVF they say okay standard IVF is 4,000 I think around about that um, if you need to do ICSI which is where the, the sperm is injected into mm. the egg rather than that process happening kind of naturally I suppose um, that's an extra thousand if you want to have embryo glue that's an there's extra a lot of additional yeah, to. Uh, elements and to it and a lot for of sure. that has absolutely no no proven thing but when you're spending 5,000 What's another two hundred if it's going to give you an extra one yeah, percent okay. of the chance? I think I, I just feel that. Yeah, I know. I just wanted to get a final word, Sarah, from you on this. Sorry, because I have a couple of other people who want to share their thoughts as well. It's eighteen hundred four five three one zero six. But I think overall, I mean, look, it's not it's not perfect, and I don't think anybody's saying it is. But it's a step in the right direction, I'd say today. Yeah. Yeah, no, I do. I, I definitely think it's a step in the right direction, but I think there's loads of scope for more. They haven't mentioned egg freezing. They're only talking about IUI and IVF, and that just supports potentially getting pregnant now. There's no support for young women and no couples as to their fertility. And if they have a fertility problem, they're basically, you know, it's it's not going to be easy for them to get pregnant anyway. Okay. So it's not really helping them. It's just speeding up their timeline when they're potentially not ready. There's a lot of people getting in touch about this today. Um, if it's something that you're currently going through or maybe you've gone through the IVF process, I just want to chat to people, to listeners. What's your thoughts on this new publicly funded IVF, uh, one round of IVF scheme or system for couples, um, women under the age of 41 and due to come into effect from September? Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk. Uh, we're talking about the publicly funded IVF. The plans announced today due to come into effect from September. Women will need to be under the age of 41. There will be a BMI eligibility criteria. That figure, I suppose, has yet to be announced. And I think overall there's been a fairly broad welcome uh, for the new scheme. A lot of reaction from listeners today. Uh, Labour Senator Marie Sherlock, though, is with us on the programme. Um, are you co- are you welcoming the scheme, Marie, or what's your, your view on it? Does it go far enough? Uh, hello, Andrea. Well, look, I, I think today is a really significant day. I think it's important to put in context that it was 2016 when we had a government announcement um, relating to uh, free IVF. And um, I think it is a really welcome development today um, that we're finally beginning to see um, uh, this, uh, in, in, you know, see it rolled out in this country. Ireland is, I think, one of two countries across uh, Europe um, that that does not have uh, publicly funded IVF. So today is a very significant milestone in the campaign of many of us. And I, and I must say there's been senators and TDs right across the political spectrum campaigning for this for a long period of time. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I understand Catherine Arda is, is on the line with you there. And, you know, she, she's been campaigning for a long period of time to so pay tribute to her work and to, 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 to many others. Um, I, I do have concerns, though, um, about the design. And I suppose the first thing to say is that we will need to see the, the actual detail coming up from the Department of Health. But, you know, certainly um, any of us who have an understanding um, uh, of, of the, the whole world of fertility treatments, um, I think would raise an eyebrow as to the criteria with regards to BMI and age. Um, and as I say, we do need to, to see the actual detail in print um, but 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 certainly I'm 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 concerned about those two at this point in time. A because some of the reasons 
for um, some of the conditions the, uh, associated with infertility are associated with a higher BMI. Mm. And, and, and I'm just not clear as to why you would, you know, at the first hurdle, exclude people based on their weight rather than allowing people the chance to have a whole of, you know, body uh, medical assessment and then establishing the suitability after that. So I think, you know, just to me, BMI seems like a crude measure. Um, and I think the second thing is with regards to age, we know that in the UK, the NHS, except women up to the age of 43, in Ireland is up to the age of 41. Now, you could apply like the day before your 41st birthday and and, and, and then remain eligible for up until whatever age then, you know, you don't time out. But I think it is okay. that cut off point of 41, you know, does seem to be, um, again, uh, I suppose, to my mind, crude, because it's actually the age of your ovaries, not necessarily your biological age. That's the important thing when it comes to fertility. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair point. And I think it's a lot of that, I suppose, in, in many respects, and particularly around the BMI aspect of it, Marie, has, has caused, um, certainly raised eyebrows, I think, for some of our listeners, and particularly people who shared experiences of being diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome and PCOS exactly. and, and the impact that that, you know, c- can have anyway on your BMI, let alone it being weight related. Well, well, well. I suppose that's the point. And and look, like is in, you know, there's there's a lot that isn't well understood about the conditions associated with infertility. There are some conditions that's very clear cut; others are less so. And particularly PCOS, um, which on average tends to be associated with higher BMI. So I I, I think for me, um, you know, it's it's just setting up what I would consider to be a rudimentary and crude criteria at the start as opposed to allowing a medical assessment and then somebody being judged for their suitability based on all the criteria. Because, you know, at, 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 the, at the end of the day, um, you know, every single individual is different. And, and I think it's, it, it, it's how, you know, people's, you know, age and weight and whatever, it's how they all interact with mm. each other is the important thing, not just one okay. single criteria. You mentioned um, Senator Catherine Arda. Catherine's with us on the line as well, because you, you've talked to us here previously in the programme, Catherine, about actually, you know, living through the highs and lows of five IVF cycles. And, and I know you, you've, um, you came through that and, and have, have twin boys now. But like, is this, is it this as you imagined the scheme, like the, the criteria and the focus around the BMI today? Uh, first of all, I just want to say thanks, Andrea, for having me on and for covering it. And it's a really great day for um, sort of the fertility lobby and for all of us, including Marie, and who've been sort of pushing the government and lobbying for this for a long time. Um, it's not an end point. It's an evolving place we are. It's actually the first time we've had a comprehensive scheme. And many ministers for health have promised such a scheme. Mm. And we've seen sort of funding without a proper framework. So this is the first time we have a proper framework for funding. And it's been delivered by um, Stephen Donnelly, a uh, Fianna Fáil Minister for Health. Um, I'm really delighted to see the scheme today. With all these schemes across Europe, you are seeing exclusions in relation to age, in relation to BMI. I know in Scotland, a report written by the National Infertility Group, um, First Scotland made actually a specific recommendation that women with a BMI over 30 should not be offered fertility treatments. In the UK, the NICE protocols are a a little bit more flexible, where they just sort of make a statement that the chances of success are, are less if you have a higher BMI. So there's obviously scope for change. These guidelines will be reviewed. Um, it can be crude for people who have a high BMI and for who are ageing out of it, who don't get that referral before their 41st birthday. Um, 
but it's, it's not an end point. This is an evolving system and we hope that it will encapsulate more couples as, as time goes on mm. and as the system gains capacity. Like at the moment, we have nearly 10,000 IVF cycles each year in the private system. Um, the funding that we're seeing today and the um, and the, and the, um, the model of care we're seeing will hopefully help address 3,000 couples. Um, so we're do you seeing envisage, like 30 million. Do you envisage though, Catherine, sorry, that, that, that like when the scheme expands, that is the, I know we're still waiting for the, the, BM, the BMI mm-hmm. criteria, yeah. that eligibility, uh, eligibility mm-hmm. to be announced, but is there scope for the likes of, you know, I, I, my understanding anyway is that um, donor eggs aren't included uh, within this? But the reason donor eggs aren't included um, and the reason single people at this point in time aren't included is because we, ha- we are waiting the AHR bill, which we're hoping to see in the House um, next term. It was meant to be in the House this term. So once we have a proper regulated environment for donor gametes, we will see, um, you know, the free IVF extended to single people and to same-sex couples. Um, it's just to get the ball rolling, and we have to start somewhere um, that it's going to be okay. introduced um, in September. And it will just apply to heterosexual couples, not that they're specifically excluded, but because we're awaiting the AHR legislation, which is absolutely imminent. So that will change with time. Oh, that will absolutely change things. Okay. We know that the um, when it comes to IVF, like a majority of successful IVFs in the country are provided for by um, donated gametes, uh, egg and sperm. So it's a huge part of the picture. But I think it's really important to acknowledge that this has started, this process has started. In Cork, we're going to have a national AHR clinic um, which is envisaged to have, in the, when it opens the first year, we'll do almost over 500 public um, IVF treatments. So at the minute, we're relying on the private sector because we don't have capacity in the public sector because people can't wait. We all know that our ovaries are getting older. Um, so this is a mechanism for people to be given the option the, the, to have an IVF treatment you know, well, well, they, well, well, you know, because time is of the essence. Mm. Um, but it's envisaged in the long term that we provide IVF treatments yeah. and fertility treatments in public okay, in, the, so in, in public hospitals, hospitals, and um, using public funds. Um, and we phase out private clinics over time. Okay, but so this is private the clinics have a role at the moment. Yeah, this is a, this uh, is a great. It's a really exciting starting point because so many years couples and, and organisations, amazing organisations out there have lobbied for this and I'm delighted to see that Minister Donnelly is actually okay. putting something in place to deliver. M- Megan, is, Megan is on the line as well. Megan, are you excited about it? Uh, well, I would be if it included me uh, and I was and I got a text from my mom this morning saying this will be rolled out from September because yeah. we haven't seen when it was going to be rolled out. Uh, What's your story then, Megan? Yeah, so I recently uh, got married to a woman, my wife, um, uh, a couple of months ago, and we're in the process of figuring out the whole uh, having a family thing. And at the moment, we can't really afford to do everything that we need to uh, in our life. It's just it's far too expensive um, to go through that process and to not have the support. We actually considered, very strongly considered, moving to Brussels, where they have a really strong uh, IVF and fertility treatment for same-sex couples. Um, so today I was kind of scouring all the articles and nothing was mentioned at all about same-sex couples. So it's it's good to hear the Senator finally talk about it um, here on the call. But to be honest, it feels like we're a bit of an afterthought. And I know, yeah, it'll happen at some point down the line. But, you know, she admitted herself 
time is of the essence here. Um, and we only have a limited amount of time and a limited amount of, of money. So I feel, you know, I, I live in Ireland, a very open, liberal country where I was able to get married to the person I love a few months ago, but I'm feeling financially discriminated against um, because of my sexual orientation. And I'm wondering about this, yeah, like the panel of experts and who decided how this was all to be communicated because it's just felt really terrible all morning, to be honest with you. Okay. Do you, Catherine, sorry, I know you mentioned you have to wait for the um, the Assisted Human Reproduction Bill, the AHR Bill, to, to come before um, come before government. But do we have any idea, sorry, when that'll happen? Did you mention? Tabled um, this, like just before we broke it, obviously for whatever reasons it wasn't. And there's talk that they're trying to include provisions in relation to international surrogacy in it. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm not obviously not uh, privy to all the information, but I know there there is a delay on it. Um, so the part in relation to um, regulating donor gametes is sort of settled, and um, so that is ready to go. So like, really are hoping to see it uh, concluded, you know, before Christmas next year. That would be, you know, that 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 was sort of what was promised previously, and then once that is um, included, once that legislation is in being. We hope, to, you know, we'll see um, the IVF extended then, obviously, to single people and same-sex couples. The, it is important that um, gametes, that there's this regulation, like it's really important to have proper regulation when it comes to donor egg and donor sperm. Um, so obviously it's, it's really frustrating for people who are waiting for this legislation. And it's really frustrating for everyone who's been waiting for IVF. And I can completely understand um, your colleagues' um um, you know why she's so upset and uh, you know all I can do is keep putting the pressure on the government to bring it in before the houses so that everyone is treated equally because that's you know that's what we all signed up yeah. for in this country we live in a progressive country where everyone should be treated equally and nobody should be discriminated according to yeah and their, that's it's it's their, actually know, their, their one of one of many one of many stories I think um quite similar to that as well on, on the program I think we've Siobhan on the line too Siobhan why did you get in touch? Um, hi, Andrea. Hi. Well, I was literally just in getting reflexology um, because I'm starting IVF this week, actually. Oh, good and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, the reflexologist was just like, oh, did you hear on the news they're saying about the rolling out, you know, um, public pay for IVF? And I was like, oh, my goodness. That's Brilliant. Great. <laughs> so, yeah. And then I switched, as I was driving out, I switched on your show and then straight away I was like, oh. I'm not in that criteria because I'm 42 actually this year. So that's me, God. But, you know, like I think it's really good and it's really positive, like for other people that are starting out and trying to have families and, you know, will have difficulties or whatever. But, you know, I think like they should definitely, and I know they will, like they have to start somewhere, yeah. but they'll look at it closer because, like, currently, like I actually have a really good out there. You know, for a 42 year old woman, I look pretty good. <laughs> it's just not happening. Do you know, like I've had two miscarriages or whatever. But, you know, like to be excluded on that basis, and like that's not really medical. Like, I mean, not every 42-year-old presents the same um, in regards to their fertility. So, like, hopefully they will look at that. And I know they have to start somewhere, but, you know, that they'll look at each case individually and see. And then um, BMI, I suppose, is another one as well. So that's just my feelings on it from my yeah, I know I can there's a lot of people Siobhan you know like you that have gotten in touch today and I haven't even got a chance to even get around to the text so far but like a lot of the points that people are making um 
the, the, I suppose the excitement, you know, at actually hearing that this is, this is a good day. We're going to have publicly funded IVF system. We've been a lot of calls for this for a long period of time um, from various different quarters. And, and, it's, and it's a good news story. And then there's some bit of nuance where people just like yourself, you know, turn 42, don't qualify. Or we're waiting to get the BMI figures, don't qualify. Or, you know, and I, I think then there's a just, I suppose people are disheartened, you know, when they frustrated um, when they, they don't fit into the criteria. Catherine, can I just get you to clarify one point on this? Because it's it's a point made by a lot of the texters today. I think it was Marie actually might have mentioned this a few moments yeah. ago. If It's for it's for women under the age of 41. But if you apply yeah. for it before you, if you get the paperwork in before you turn 41. If you get your GP referral before you're at 41, you're automatically in the scheme and you don't time out. So even if it takes like a year for you to get processed, once your referral is in before your 41st birthday, you are, you know, you're, you qualify. Well, look, there'll be lots more on this as um, more criteria, I suppose, details in the announcement is made. We'll keep you posted. Actually, the Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly, is going to be on with Kieran here a little bit later on this afternoon in the hard shoulder. So do stay tuned for that. Thanks a million to all of you for getting in touch with us today. Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.